Say amen. amen. So absolutely, overwhelmingly thrilled to have each and every one of you here today. It's such a blessing to see your smiling faces. It's a much greater blessing to come into a place and feel the presence of God the way we have in this place this morning. How I many do you sense that? What a what a tremendous amen. Come on, put your hands together and give him praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. We are in the fourth in a five-part series in the book of Colossians. It's called Rooted. Um, we actually ran out of bulletins this morning, and I think they printed a few. They printed a few extra. So if you don't have message notes, if you would just hold your hand up for just a moment, we want to get those to you. If there's some this morning who would like to have a copy, our text is there. Some notes of, from which I'll be preaching this morning, teaching. Hallelujah. How many of you have a reason to give God praise today? Yeah. Amen. What does the Bible say? Let everything that hath... You breathing today? If you're breathing, you've got a reason to praise. Amen. There's always something to give God praise and thanks for. And he's worthy. He's worthy. He's the glory that is due his name. So this morning, our text is... The series text is found... In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, as they put that on the board this morning, I'd like for us, uh, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. Would you do that for me, please? Let's just do it in honor of the word of the Lord. Amen. So as we stand together today, let's read this one together. And then don't sit down yet because I'm going to read a little bit of an extensive passage from Colossians 3. This is our series text, so let's say this one together. Here we go. Therefore... As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Okay, so if you'll just remain standing with me this morning, I'm going to read all of Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 17, and it goes like this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put on with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, bearing... <coughs> Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. 
As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Everybody say, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiveness. I'm sorry, with thanks, thankfulness. <laughs> thanksgiveness is not a word. <laughs> with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, do this. I want everybody to read this last one with me. Here we go. Let's say it together. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for this time in your presence. Thank you that you have filled this place. We just stop in this moment and we say thank you. Over and over and over, the Apostle Paul says in this little letter to abound with thanksgiving, to be overflowing with thanksgiving, to let the peace of Christ be in us and be thankful. Let the thankfulness to God come out of our hearts, Lord. We just thank you right now for this word. Holy Spirit, you are the only teacher. I acknowledge before you right now that I cannot do anything apart from you. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Spirit of the living God, move in this place today and open our understanding. Give us perception, Lord, so that the word produces faith and faith reaches into the promises of God and we see change come in our hearts and in our lives. We give you praise because all of it is due your name. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. put your hands together and give the Lord praise, and you can be seated this morning. I'm excited to jump back in. I, I was such a privilege last Sunday to have one of my dear friends, Chip Bueller, with us, who did a phenomenal job on Colossians chapter 2, on dealing with all of the, the religious cheaters. All of those things that religion will steal, kill, and destroy from you. Those, those things, those concepts that will add to the scripture, that will subtract from who Christ is, that will multiply more requirements and regulations, and that will divide loyalties among believers. He talked about add, subtract, multiply, divide. All of those things in terms of your diet and philosophies and ideas about secret knowledge. Basically, the Apostle Paul is coming to the church at Colossae, and he's saying to them, look, all this stuff is wrapped up in Christ. Colossians 2 verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Those were two key words among the Gnostics. They were pursuing wisdom. They were, they were looking for a kind of secret knowledge. And so the Apostle Paul just sort of doubled back on them and fed them some of their own medicine. And he said, look, there's this thing that God's been hiding for generations, but now is made manifest among the saints. In Colossians 1, verse 27, 28, he said, it's a mystery. It is a mysterion. It's a sacred secret. This really is some secret knowledge, but God has ripped the cover off. He's unveiled it. He has revealed it. He has, he's demonstrated it to the world that Christ Christ now is in and among all of you that is the hope of glory. And so this is not the pursuit of some esoteric principle, but it's the relationship, a living relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the 
of all the treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge. All of that's in him. And when you can begin to realize that, if all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ and Christ is in you, what does that mean is on the inside of you as well? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That means the answer to the predicament you're in is already inside you. You just need to let that thing be loosed. I, I bought Bible software on a CD a number of years ago, and locked on that CD were multiple translations of Scripture. And when I was willing to call and give them a credit card number and pay an extra fee, they would give me a code to unlock what was actually already on the CD that was in my possession. Ticked me off. And I'm going, okay, why can't I break into this? It's already mine. I've already spent $399 for the software for me to study the scripture with anyway. And I've got these discs. And, and why is it? Why don't they you know, give me all these translations? But no, they find a way to, I have to pay for it. And I want you to know there's some truth to that. There is there's some realization that God gives us salvation as a free gift, but when we really begin to press into God, we have to seek his face. That means there is a price in terms of grasping hold of this relationship and pressing into him and gaining these principles of knowledge and wisdom from him. And it means sometimes I have to pay an extra price of spending time in the word. I have to pay an extra price of, of, of time in fellowship with the brothers and sisters or spending time in prayer or in worship. Are you hearing me this morning? It's already there. It's already locked up inside you in the disc that God gave you in that, that, that the Holy Ghost CD. It's called the presence of God. See, what you don't even realize that the Bible says in 1 John, you have an unction of the Holy One and you know all things. Did you know that? You just didn't know you knew all things yet, did you? It's what the Bible says. 1 John 2.20, you have an unction of the Holy One and you know all things. No, I don't know all things. Yes, I do. I just don't know that I know it yet. That'll dawn on you in a minute. It's on the inside. Let this mind, which was also in Christ Jesus, let this mind be in you. What does that mean? I let it. I allow it. I give it place. I, I give it preeminence. I make it first. I make it ultimate. It's the first thing I consult. It's the last one that answers the question that gives me the ultimate authority. Is the Word of God, which is the mind of God. Well, come on. Give Him praise. So we're, we're looking at all this stuff in Colossae, and it is so much like the spirit of the age in which we live right now. Because it's like the guy who answered the question to Stephen Mansfield in the book called The Faith of the American Soldier. And he says, well, what is your faith made up of? And he said, it's about one part Sunday school, one part Dr. Phil, and one part Oprah, and basically all roads lead to heaven. And that's really a whole lot of how American Christianity has begun to morph. And it's really pretty frightening because we've lost the mooring. We've lost the anchoring to the, to the solid ground bedrock of the Word of God. And, and, and I'm not talking about trying to return to some kind of pharisaical, judgmental, beat people over the head. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm not talking about that kind of religion, but I'm talking about a real life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ where He loves me just like I am, but He loves me too much to leave me like I am. This passage that we've just read this morning in Colossians chapter 3 is all about heaven on earth. I, I don't know whether you know this or not, but this is another one of those versions of American churchianity is that we have reduced the gospel to a trip to heaven. And I want to tell you, God's ultimate objective is not to get you to heaven. If it were, as soon as you confess Christ, he would have hit you with a bolt of lightning and taken you on up there. 
God's ultimate objective is not to get you to heaven. God's ultimate objective is to get heaven into you. If heaven is in you, where you are for eternity is a byproduct. It's going to be automatic. Conversely, flip the coin over on the other side. God's ultimate objective is not to get you out of hell. It's to get what? Hell out of you. It's to get all that stuff, all the junk, all the separation and relationship with him because of sin and disobedience that mars that thing, that, 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 that distorts the image of God. And God says, if I can get all that out of you by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, by the working of the Holy Spirit to, to make us holy, because this message today is about being rooted in the holiness of Jesus Christ. The first one was rooted in the lordship of Christ. The second one was rooted in the body of Christ. We're in this together. Look at your neighbor right now and tell him, you can't do this without me. Tell him right now, say, you can't do this without me. The third one last Sunday was rooted in the revelation of Christ. Chip did an amazing job. This fourth one this morning is in this section on chapter 3. It's about heaven on earth. It's, it's how God begins to show me how I can apply what is the spirit and the nature in the Lord's prayer when he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? In earth as it is. Heaven is fine. There's order. There's no chaos there. You know, I heard it as a young man growing up. Man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to whoop the devil. And somebody finally got up one day and said, well, you know what? He's not going to be there. There are no wall cities. There are no giants. There's no opposition. There's no crying. There's no death. There's no sorrow. No more pain. All of that's in order. Everything, there's no strife, no gossip, there's no malice, there's no murder, no envy, no adultery, no sexual immorality. No stuff is there. All of that has been driven out. It's totally in order. So what's the point? The point is that God wants to take a people in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. Philippians 2. He wants us to shine his lights in the midst of the darkness. He wants us to bring heaven to bear in the middle of this, to bring order down into chaos, to take the order, the seed of the order of God, take the seed of God and plant it in the earth so that in earth as it is in heaven, come kingdom of God, be done will of God. That's the idea. It's to get heaven into you. Again, you want to go? Man, I got a 38 at home. I can load it up for you. Some of you think maybe that's not too funny. Now, you know, when you really, really think about it, I, you know what? I, I want to be with him forever, but I also want to do what I'm supposed to do right now. I'll be honest. I'm not in any hurry to get there. I want to live in the blessing and the full realization of the purpose that God has given me right down here in the middle of all the mess that we is in. In the middle of all the junk, the sweet by and by is always going to be sweet by and by. It's the nasty nitty gritty now and now that I've got to learn how to demonstrate and bring order out of the middle of this chaos. And God says, this is how you do it. Number one, seek the heavenly. Everybody say, seek the heavenly. When we begin to seek the heavenly, we come with an understanding. The scripture says here in the ESV, it says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Now, everything the Apostle Paul has been writing at this point is based on the fact that Christ has come and died. He has reconciled the world to himself. God was in Christ reconciling the world. It tells us that 
the principalities and powers, those elemental spirits of the world that the, the church at Colossae were worried about because of the, 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 the Greek gods, the, 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 the spirits that were supposedly controlling them. Basically, the Apostle Paul says, look, it's not about that at all because the, 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 the Colossians had lost the awareness. They, they felt like God was far off. And they felt like that they were under a constant influence of enemy, oppressive attack. And so what the Apostle Paul was trying to bring them to the realization was that God was not far off, but he had come nigh to them. He had come Emmanuel. He had come God in the flesh to dwell among them. And the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He conquered them at the cross. Every regulation of the law, everything that would accuse you, the Bible says Jesus took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. Bam! Every time a Roman soldier drove a nail into one of the arms or the legs of Jesus, into his feet, it literally was the accusation of the legal requirement of God's law against you that was the opposing voice accusing you. The Bible says he nailed it to the cross. Jesus took our place. We understand that as a substitute. It says here, if you then have been raised with Christ. Now, this is what I want you to understand. Uh, the, the, so much of the time, American Christianity has reduced this thing all to substitution. Everybody say, he took my place. Now, you know what? We can't get beyond that. Thank God he did take our place because I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to take my sins away. And the song says, Amazing Grace is the song that I now sing. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. He took my place. He was my substitutionary sacrifice. And that's truth. We thank God for that. But that's only half of it because he's not only my substitution, but I need to recognize the principle of identification. Everybody say identification. In other words, what that means is when he was on the cross, I was in Christ with him. How many of you believe that's true? Galatians 2, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in that passage of Colossians 2, 20, 21, we see both the principles of substitution. Everybody say, he took my place. And identification. So when I identify with him, I'm on the cross with him. I'm crucified with him. I am buried with him. When we, pull, when we roll our lovely galvanized horse trough out here. By the way, we've got some baptisms next Sunday. We're excited about that. If you've never been water baptized, we do that every Sunday, the first Sunday of every month. We already have some that are in line for that. If you want to be water baptized next Sunday, see me after service today. That's a tremendous celebration because you are identifying. Everybody say identification. You're identifying with the death and the burial, and then you're coming up out of the water, literally burying the old man, the old nature, that old man that's dead because he's died Okay, we're burying him, we're identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection now, being raised up, identifying with the resurrection of Christ as well. And so this is the principle. The Apostle Paul is writing, he says, look guys, since you have been raised with Christ, if then, if, if then doesn't mean, you know, is there a condition here that you might or might not be? No, based on the two chapters that he's already, already written, he's saying, look, 
You were crucified with him. You were buried with him. You were circumcised in baptism. Now you're raised up. And he says, since that, if then, because of the fact, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the God. Set your minds on things that are above. Two words I want you to say. Everybody say, seek and set. Do it again. Seek and set. So what are you seeking this morning? You're seeking what you're set on. What is your mind set on? What are you focusing on? What is your perspective? What are you looking at continuously? What are you thinking about? What is driving you? What, what is the impetus? It is, the, is it the problem? Or is it the God who is bigger than the problem? Are you seeking the heavenly things or are you focused on earthly things? Are you seeking the order and the peace of God that God wants to bring and interject into the chaos of your circumstance? One little uh, African-American pastor said one time, the status quo is Latin for the mess we's in. <laughs> How many of you know God doesn't want to leave you in the status quo, in the mess we's in? He wants to bring you up out of that, and he, he interjects the seed that will bring change. It's the seed of the word of faith, because faith comes by and hearing by the faith is growing this morning in your hearts because you're hearing the preaching of God's word. Faith is coming alive. It's, it's a fresh perspective. It's, it's a lifting up out of the muck and the mire into a, a perspective that is looking higher. Seek the heavenly. Set your minds on the things that are above, the apostle Paul says. For you have died. Look at your neighbor and say, you're dead. Now we're talking about in Christ. The old man's dead. See, this is, it, it, it is, it is a, it's a misnomer when you fight a temptation and you go around and you go, well, that old man's raring his head. I don't know too many old men can, can raise, raise their heads. When I say old man, I'm talking about dead men. Everybody say, the old man is a dead man. You bury him in baptism, and this is the recognition that you're saying this morning, we are now and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. I'm identifying with him. I'm a new man. There's something changed. That old thing is gone. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, that's it. I'm identifying in him. Everybody say, in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has gone. The new has come. The scripture says that we now live in Christ. Christ is our life, the Bible says. Listen, let me just tell you this in, in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, the Bible says, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's, there's something that, that God has begun that's not yet finished. In the kingdom, we are living between the now and the not yet. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not yet what I'm going to be. But I'm in this place of change and place of transition. This thing began in a crisis. I came to God. Now there's a line. I'm walking. I, I, I am entering into a place of being renewed, a place of transformation. But there will come a time, and I just read it in Colossians 3 verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then will you will appear with him in glory. That means your real self in full completion. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, behold how... Wonderful it is that we should be called the children of the living God. It says, 
Oh, what manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God? Beloved, it says, we don't know exactly how this whole thing's going to work out. It says, it doth not yet appear. He says, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he, what? Is. When we see him, when we, when we behold him, what began as a crisis point, a snapshot. I'm going to do it. Here we go. I came to Christ. My spirit has been saved. Now I'm entering a process where my soul is being saved. I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. But then there will come a time when I see him again, when I see him face to face, I see him as he is, that the scripture says he will subdue this vile body. He will bring it in subjection. It will be like his glorious body. I have been delivered from the penalty of sin. I am being delivered from the power of sin, but there will come a time when I will ultimately be delivered totally from the presence of all sin. That's when I see him. Are you hearing me this morning? All right. We live in Christ. We are raised with Christ right now. When he was raised up, you were raised up with him. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, and he has raised us up and made us sit together with him in heavenly places. That means you have the ability to sit down and see things from a heavenly perspective. Are you with me this morning? If you're in the pit looking up, how many of you know things look a whole lot different than they do when you begin to realize that in Christ... You're not destined to live in that. You're supposed to sit above it. And it's more than just semantics. This is about a perspective. This is about seeking the heavenly. It's about setting my mind on the heavenly things. And then I begin to see from a heavenly perspective because he has raised us up together in Christ. Come on, look at your neighbor right now and say, I've been raised in Christ. Sit down with him in heavenly places. Amen. We're, we died with Christ. We live in Christ. We are raised with Christ. We are hidden in Christ. This is why you put on the armor of God. Because let me tell you something. When you get the armor of God, that's, a, that's an old English way of saying God's armor. Everybody say, the armor of God is God's armor. So when I put on the helmet of salvation, when I put on the breastplate of righteousness... When I take up the sword of the Spirit, I have my loins girt about with the belt of truth. I'm walking around in shoes called Nike. It's the Greek word Nikeo. means victory. These shoes are called peace shoes. Literally in the battle, when I'm standing in the battle, I'm walking in peace. Knowing that it's already been secured for me, it's already been won. I lift up the shield of faith. Let me tell you something. When you march into the battle have on the armor of God, God's armor. How many of you know the devil can't tell any difference between you and the Father because you got on the Father's armor? You are hidden in Christ. When you are covered by the blood of Jesus, you are hidden in Christ. There is nothing there that can reach you. There is no temptation that can take hold of you. There is no attack of the enemy that can pull you down. When you are hidden in Christ... Number two, slay the earthly. Everybody say, seek the heavenly. Slay the earthly. Verses five through nine, listen. The King James says it this way, mortify your flesh. 
What does a mortician do? He deals with what? Dead people. So to mortify something means kill it. To mortify. And and, and this is so much clearer right here in the ESV. It says, put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you? Your focus is in the heaven. You're, You're seeking. You're set on the heavens. You're seeing from a perspective of the heavenly. Now he says... Guess what? Your feet are still firmly planted on the ground. You, you are not so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You are focusing from a heavenly perspective, but you're still living on the planet. This is not twilight zone. But he says, in the middle of all this, you've got some stuff you've got to deal with. Put to death the earthly that is in you. He says sexual immorality. The Greek word pornia. We get our English word pornography. But it is an all-encompassing word in the New Testament because it doesn't just mean not checking out the magazines or the websites. But pornia has to do with any kind of sexual immorality. In the King James, the word here is fornication. We're not just talking about premarital sex. We're not just talking about sex outside the covenant of marriage against someone that you've committed to live in the holy covenant of marriage together. But it's talking about any kind of sexual immorality, impurity. And I'm not going to take time. I can, this could be a seminar in itself, so I'm just going to hit the high points. Put to death, mortify what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is that whole thing about greed. I've got to have more. I've got to have the latest, to have the newest, got to have the freshest, got to have the, the newest model. And so I want more. I want to have more. I, I have to build more to hold more so I can keep more. And, and we're just running out all over the place in American society because we're so gripped in materialism. And I'm going to be honest with you. I wrestle with this myself. We just, I look around and I go, where did this stuff come from? How, how many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? I, 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 I go through, recent, you know, every now and then, and I try to clean out the closet, and it's stuff that's still good, but I want to put it in somebody's hands and take it to the mission and let somebody have it and wear it because I'm not wearing it anymore. And, and just every drawer and every closet, it just, it just gets packed and packed and packed and packed. And, and, and I'm going, God, I don't want to be driven by greed. I don't want to be driven by covetousness because that's idolatry. And you know something? There's one thing about that sin right there. It will make you do all of the others. Because if you're driven by greed, you'll do anything you can to get what you've got to have. It's like a guy with a fix got to have some crack or some crystal meth or whatever it is. That's the reason I tell all people all the time, look, if you can just ever really get you a good drink, a good just, just get you a big old dra- drink of the draft of the Holy Ghost and get it way down on the inside of you, it'll give you a taste of something that you will never want anything else. He goes on to say, he says, in these you too once walked. When you were living in them. Now look at these. There are two kinds of sins here. There are sensual sins. And there's not a person in the room who's not tempted by this. The difference in victory in a lot of other churches is that we are not afraid to address things as they are and just flat be real. Not saying we're better. It's just I'm tired of playing religious games. We wonder why our kids are in the mess they're in. And we as parents don't even talk to our kids about 
their sexuality. It is a gift from God. I'm not going to unveil the birds and the bees this morning when we're talking, but I just want to tell you something. It is ridiculous if you think you're going to raise righteous children and you don't have conversations about the love of God and the proper parameters for the gift that God has given them in their sexuality. It is a gift from God. When you keep the commandments of God, it will protect you. I must be in the wrong church this morning because this is good stuff and I'm not getting anywhere near the amen that I need to be getting. You know what? This is not to make you feel bad. This is to help you so you can be better and feel better. Not in your own strength, but in the strength of God. There are sensual sins. Everybody in the room has to deal with them, including your pastor. I have to make a choice what I think about. I have to make a choice what I let come out of my mouth. I have to make a choice what I decide to act upon every day of my life. You start thinking that the more spiritual you are, the less you will be tempted. You are crazy and you're heading for a fall. Jesus, now let me just say this to you, it is not a sin to be tempted. It's what you do with that temptation is when it becomes a sin. Jesus was tempted in all points, the Bible says, yet without sin. They're not only sensual sins, and these are the ones the church just likes to beat the horse to death over. Man, I'm telling you, you know, just we want to just whoop up on whatever the latest politically correct or politically incorrect or whatever thing is. And then a lot of times there are other stuff sitting out there and we don't even deal with it because maybe it happens to be working in the life of the biggest giver in the church. Or... And then we can just whoop these sensual sins because, you know, it's a nice religious thing to do it. But, man, we don't really say too much about the sensual sins. He says, in these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. When we come up out of the water of baptism, that is the end of an old life. It's the opening of a whole new chapter of a whole new kind of life. Something fresh has begun. It's an initiation into a new walk in the kingdom of God. The old is gone. The new has come. There's a new motivation. I'm not the same old guy with a second chance. I'm a whole new person with a whole new nature down the inside of me. I may still, once in a while, go back to something that I used to be, a pattern. Everybody in here has them. Everybody in here has different kinds of temptations. I'm tempted with stuff that the other guy might not be. He's tempted with stuff that she might not be. How many of you know the devil knows all of your buttons? He knows exactly where your weakness is. That's the reason we need somebody walking with us in accountability, somebody who prays with us, somebody that loves us, who knows everything about us. They still love us anyway, and they're there to protect us and strengthen us. Come on. But it's so easy to, to harp on the sensual sins and then let the, the social sins go, the gossip and the backbiting and the complaining and just the constant criticism. And you know something? Rick Warren tweeted this up a few weeks ago. He said, you know what? Like water seeks its level we have a tendency to seek out those that are 
captivated by the same sins that we are. The critic finds the other critic. The gossip finds the other gossip. The person who's struggling with lust, it's amazing. It was like a lust radar. Birds of a feather. Psalm 42, 7, deep calls to deep. That's the reason it's so critical that you pay attention to who you are hanging around. It's important young people. It's important old people. Bad, corrupt, bad company corrupts good character. And no, I'm not talking about the 70s rock and roll band either. Bad company corrupts good character. He says, put off the old self with its practices. Number three, strengthen the Christly. First of all, seek the heavenly, slay the earthly, mortify these things of the flesh, these memories of how you used to live. This is what you once did. And he says, because of this, the wrath of God is coming. Now what he's saying is, oh, no, 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 you know, he's not saying to you believers, oh, you better watch it, God's going to bust you. He's saying, no, you have a new life now. You're not supposed to live this way. The wrath of God's coming on the world. How's the world going to see any difference? How will the world, in the middle of chaos, see the light in the middle of darkness if the church isn't the bearer of that light? Do you hear that? Strengthen the Christly, verse 10. He says, and have put on the new self. Everybody say the new self. What you're seeing here is Paul is telling the people, look, you're dead. How many of you know when somebody dies, you go and you get them a what? A new suit of clothes. You put them on, you give them to the mortician who puts them on and makes them look good. And you know, everybody always walks up there and says, oh, he looks so good. And I'm going, man. Oh, she looks great. Now, maybe that's too plain. I, I, I don't want to offend anybody. You know, we always do that. Why, why do we do that? I, I, I hate death. I, death is an enemy. The Bible says the last enemy which shall be destroyed is death. I'm going to tell you, there will be a generation that will see him face to face and will put the enemy of death under their feet. Somebody say amen. amen. Come on, give him praise. It says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What is he saying here? Look, you died and you got buried with a suit on. Now that suit doesn't work anymore. How many of you remember when Jesus went to the grave and he called out specifically, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus... Why did he walk like that? Because he's wrapped with what? Grave clothes. Well, now, this is, this is what happens when we, we come up out of baptism and we've still got this stuff because there's a whole new nature on the inside. There's a whole new person. There's a whole new self that is being the motivation, that is, that is the animation of, that is the drive, the impetus. It is the force. That the, sounds too impersonal. I'm talking about a person who is the Holy Spirit. He is down on the inside of you and he's motivating you to live a new kind of life now. But guess what? You've still got all these old grave clothes on. What did Jesus tell the disciples to do when Lazarus came out of the tomb? They said what? Loose him and what? Let him go. Look at your neighbor and say, loose him and let him go. That means we have to take off all the grave clothes of the old life. That's not you. 
That temptation that used to pull you down is not you anymore. It may be something that's still hanging on you, an old rag from the past. But I want to help you take that off this morning. I want to help you get rid of that because guess what? God wants to put a whole new suit of grace clothes on you now. You're dead. You're dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You were buried with him. You were raised with him. You're identifying with him. And guess what? You went down into the waters of baptism and God circumcised that old nature, that fleshly nature. He cut it off of you. And guess what now? We've got to take all the clothes off that you were buried in that old life in. Got to put on some new grace clothes and get rid of the old grave clothes. So he's talking about putting off the old and putting on the new. It's a picture of garments. This morning I got up and I put on this shirt and buttoned it and stepped back and looked and made sure everything's in the right place the way it's supposed to be. I put it on. The word of the Lord here is put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Two words here, new. Everybody say new New. and renewed. renewed. Say it again, new and renewed. There it is. Put on the, everybody say new self which is being renewed. Say being renewed. The first word is neo. Like Keanu Reeves in The Matrix. His name was Neo, which is a spiritual film about the new man in Christ stepping out into the fullness of an unlimited awareness. He's stopping bullets in The Matrix. That's when he finds out who he is. He was already neo. He was already new. That word neo is new in relation to time. But being renewed is the Greek word kainos, which means new as related to quality. This thing is being renewed. The more I come alive in the awareness of what Christ has made me to be, that I'm being renewed in the image of the creator in which I was originally made. Come on, you're not hearing me this morning. It's, it's the awareness of what God's doing on the inside of me. It's, I, I am a new creature, but guess what? I'm being renewed, new in quality, in the knowledge after the image of my creator. And he says, this is what is so amazing too. He says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Come on. The old filters that used to separate, it's not an ethnic thing anymore. It's not about whether you're a Greek or a Jew. And the Greeks to the Jews were dogs. If you weren't a part of the covenant, if you weren't a Jew, then you were a reject. You were a heathen. You were a pagan. You were unacceptable. And the Apostle Paul says, now in Christ, none of that stuff are filters even anymore. It's not about here there is not Greek and Jew. There's not even circumcised and uncircumcised. That's the mark of the old covenant. It's not an ethnic filter. It's not a religious filter. He says barbarian or Scythian. Everybody say cultural. It's not a, not a cultural thing anymore. Guess what? We have all kinds of varieties of folk who come here to victory. We, we, we've, we've, got, we've got some good old rednecks that love Jesus. We've got some, some young professionals. We, we've got some old folks and some middle-aged folks, and we've got some young folks. And guess what? That's what the body of Christ is all about. It's not about any of this culture stuff anymore. 
And you know, whether you drive a pickup and have a shotgun and on a rack in the back, or, or whether you drive a Mercedes, uh, none of that has anything to do with it at all. It's Christ, is Christ in you? Is Christ all in your life? Because that's the, that's the filter right there. That's what matters. That's what ultimately counts. He says it's not even an economic filter. It's not slave or free. It's not your socioeconomic status. And the Apostle Paul adds in the Galatians passage, Galatians 28, he goes on to say it's neither male nor female. Let me tell you something, ladies. Jesus was on your side. He intended to bring liberty to you and set you free. You are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. It's neither male nor female. It's not economic slave or free. It's not cultural, barbarian or Scythian. It's not religious, circumcised or uncircumcised. It's not Greek or Jew. It's not ethnic. It's none of that stuff anymore. But it's all about this one determining question. Is Christ in your life? Because he is all, and now in his body he is in all. Are you getting anything out of this? My last point this morning, and I'm finished. Everybody say, all dressed up. And some place to go. All right? The first one is the grace of Christ. He tells us to put off all the grave clothes, all the earthly stuff, all those wrappings and trappings of the old nature that I was buried in. But then he begins to tell us what we are to put on. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. King James says God's elect. I love that. Don't be afraid of that. God chose you before the foundation of the world. He marked you out. His eye was on you. The psalm says you are the apple of his eye. I want to tell you that the gospel is so amazing. It's not just that Jesus died for you, but he made a commitment that he would never, ever, 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 ever stop loving you. Even in the mess you're in this morning, he loves you right where you are. Come on. He chose you. He says... You are God's elect. He says, holy and beloved. Holy is that word which means set apart. It's, it's that idea of set apart for a purpose, set apart to God, not just set apart from sin. This whole thing about the holiness of Christ is not just about how long the lady's hair is or whether or not you wear makeup or whether the women can wear pants. You notice I always pick on the ladies. I, I, it amazed me when I was growing up sometimes in those, in those churches, you know, some of the men preachers would come in in these three-piece suits and a $30 handkerchief out here and big hair and product and, and ladies looking like they were dressed in a gunny sack. I don't want to offend anybody this morning. Let me tell you something. If you have a conviction, you can overdo anything. I mean, just turn on Christian. I'm stop that right there. Sorry. Plenty of things you can see demonstrations of of pushing it way, 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 way beyond. It's how, how high your hair is stacked or whether there is any makeup on your face or whether you've got it just whether you're slick back like crazy. I don't know. I'm just trying to, get, I'm trying to dig my way out of this hole that I'm in right now. I'm doing the backstroke. When you get in hot water, the best thing to do, baby, is take a bath. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's not about any of that stuff at all. We, we want you to know you're free to, based on your conviction, do it and do it with the joy of the Lord. 
to whatever degree. You, you can take anything to an extreme. You can take it all away, and you can make a God out of that. Remember, in the, remember when Israel took all of their jewelry off, and they made a God out of it? Some of you are going to hear that in a minute. I grew up in a church that didn't have any, and they made a God out of the fact that they didn't wear it. You can't, men can't have any you know, facial hair. I want to go, what do you think the whole Jewish nation had? I mean, it was the sign of manhood. Do you think Jesus was like clean-shaven? I'm just messing right now. I just want you to know, and I'm enjoying it. Because it's stupid. It's just stupid. It is stupid. The ridiculous religious requirements that we put on people. And we, we, we go jump on a couple little passages and we, 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 just, you know, we hamper on that. I mean, just, just jump all over that passage about it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And I want to go, well, what is long? I mean, do you think anything longer than that? And, you know, and, and, and the women can't cut theirs, so theirs is like Emmylou Harris, you know, they're walking on it. And if that's long, then that means if the woman's hair is long down to here, then I should at least be able to call this short. Where's the standard? Paul was a, basically uh, applying a cultural standard in that moment in time. And he said, let me just say this. Among the churches of God, we're not going to be contentious about this. In other words, it's not going to be something we're going to fall out over because ultimately we don't have that. How, how, how long was Jesus' hair? You know, and you get all caught up on this whole thing and holiness about what's women's apparel. I mean, my goodness, man, he walked around in a dress. And, you know, we holler at women in these religious circles about, you know, pants are for men. I'm going to tell you, there's not a woman's pantsuit that I would put myself into. <laughs> now, I, that, that wouldn't be holy. Because it's not made for a man. I mean, it's not even cut right. It's not, it wouldn't fit right. You're talking about looking ridiculous. I mean, these were days when guys were walking around in flowing robes. So how do we apply all that to today? You can just get so bogged down in all of these externalities of what holiness is. And folks, you can miss the fact that the holiness of God's got to be right here in your heart. I can have my hair cut just right and I can have on the right three-piece suit and I can actually look like a preacher. I, I got tickled the other day. I had a wedding last week and one of, the, one of our congregants said, wow, Pastor Michael, you look like a preacher. I said, is that, okay, is that good or bad? I want to, <laughs> frankly, you know, I don't care because I'm not up in that image anymore. It, it's, it, we all have these images that we feel like we have to uphold. And I want to tell you something, the real image we have to uphold is the image of the creator that's being renewed on the inside of you. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint, if one has a complaint, everybody say when and not if. <laughs> yeah, man, just learn how to deal with it the right way. Look at your neighbor and say, this ain't junior high. You know, you don't have to go get up involved in somebody else's offense. God doesn't need special mediators. Sometimes I, I'm, I'm getting of working through. Relationships bring problems. People have problems. We have to work things out. Next thing I know, two or three more people done gotten a ball in it. You, you know, 
I want to go, who are you and what are you doing in this? Up in the middle of it. Well, that's where the bullets are flying. Well, you want to stay there? I need to move on. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. That's just it, bottom line right there. Forgive each other. You know what? Nobody in the room is perfect. This is a perfect place for imperfect people. And your pastor is the first one to say, look, I'm still in the process. Too long, we've played all the religious games, and we put everything on right, and we look good, and we paint it on Sunday morning, and man, bless you. Praise, praise the Lord. And you know, I can do that. I can do that and I can fool you and I can be eat up with lust. I can be torn apart with anger. I can have rage issues. I can beat my wife on Saturday night. Now, not that woman. I'm going to tell you, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> but I can come in and play all those games. I can look just right. And I can, I can have the outside external holiness, and it looks right, but I can be eat up on the inside. And how many of you know the real issue is what's going on right in here and right in here? Come on, put your hands together. So these clothes we're putting on, and I'm wrapping it up here, and above all, put on, above all these, put on love. That's the primary garment right there, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So those are the grace clothes you wear right there. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. I'm going to tell you, I grew up, and, and this is not characteristic of everybody, so please don't think I'm just lumping everybody together, but I grew up in the move of God. I've seen the Holy Spirit do powerful things, but I want you to know some, some, of, the, some of the most critical, judgmental, angry people just because of the law that we were under, and there wasn't any joy there. Just hard. How I many of you know, I, I want to be in a place where we can experience, like we did this morning, the love of God, whether it's, whether it's an 8-year-old singing it or an 88-year-old singing it. Whether it's, whether it's a new style or whether, it's, whether we go old school, has not, none of that matters. Is, it, is Christ in it? Are you hearing me this morning? The peace of Christ, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Everybody say peace. peace. The word rule there is an athletic term. It literally means to umpire. This, this is a great principle. Grab it. I, I know I'm winding this down, but I don't want to lose you. I want you to come on, stay with me just five more minutes, and this is so good. You get in a ball game, and the umpire will call you safe or out, but he calls it after the play. You run it, he calls it after the play. You're, you're, you're running from third and you're trying to slide into home plate and he says safe or he says out, depending on whether the catcher catches the ball and he tags you before you're actually able to tag the play. The peace of Christ is an umpire. It's an arbiter inside your heart, but the Holy Spirit is there to give you a signal before you actually step out to run this play that you're in, to make that decision, to, to start that new job, to, to enter into this new relationship, to whatever's in front of you where you have to make a decision. The Holy Spirit is there. If the peace of God is in you, if that umpire is there going, come on, it's safe, you can do this, I'm with you. Or if he's going, no, 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 hang on just a second. Not time yet. Is there peace there? Let the peace rule. Let the umpire call the shots. 
Let the Holy Ghost down on the inside of you. Somebody says, well, do you feel peace? You know, guys, we call it this way. Do you, I've got a gut feeling. I've got a hunch. I just, I just feel something down in my gut. How many of you know you need, to, you need to learn to pay attention to that sense? Because if you know Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit on the inside of you who's trying to show you and to lead you. Is the peace of God there? And notice it's not just can I lay down at night and be at peace by myself, but is there peace in my relationships around me? Because it says, peace rule your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. I can have peace this way, but if I don't have it this way, something's missing. Is what I'm doing stirring up my family? Is it tearing up people? Is something coming out of my mouth that I may think I have peace about? But is it causing others to not have peace? It's got to be looked at two ways. Do I have it in my heart? Do others have it around me? Next, the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom. The word, let it dwell in you. I love my Purple Book group. If you're not involved, man, we had 21 last Monday night. Grab you a copy. They're free on the back table. We're digging into the Word. We're learning every week besides going through one of these units in here. Let me tell you something. We dig into it and we memorize a scripture every week. Psalm 119, 105. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Each week we're learning a new scripture and we're letting that thing dwell inside of us, letting it abide, letting it remain. Because when the word of God gets down on the inside of you, it will equip you. It will strengthen you. The Bible says in Psalm 119 verse 11, thy word have I hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Get the word in there. Let it dwell. And he says that when you guys come together and you've heard the word preached, he says when you worship... He says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's a whole variety. Psalm, Greek word psalmos, literally. You open your Bible, the very middle of the Bible, the very heart, the center of the Bible is 150 chapters of worship. Thank you, God. Praise you, Lord. I worship you. I bow before you. I dance in your presence. I shout before you. I clap my hands. I lie prostrate in your presence. That's the worship manual. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great King. Thy loving kindness is better than life. With my lips, I will praise Thee. Thus will I bless Thee. I will lift up my hands in Thy name. I'm just quoting the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Open the Psalms and worship Him. Hymns, humneo, Greek word humneo. Jerome, my, I love you, man. He's like a mentor. He's like a big brother to me. I call him, I'm going, are you in town this weekend? Well, I don't know. I've got the grandson down here at Sillamore. I don't know. We may or may not. I said, okay, fine. If you're here, I want you to do a blessed assurance. We had to put a little jazz vibe on it this morning. Didn't he do a great job? Give Jerome a hand. Humneo. 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 It's the Greek word literally means the story or testimony. A hymn is a story about what God has done in your life. 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And we sing from the Psalms and we sing from the hymns. Some of you have been coming to victory and you want to go, what is that special time in the worship when you just sort of cut loose and do your own thing? Everybody say, spiritual songs. Here it is right here. Teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, psalmos, Greek word, humneo, and ode pneumaticos. Pneuma is spirit. Pneumaticos. Ode is driven by the wind of the spirit. Mm, see, Abby's singing over there and playing. When we enter into that time, we just begin to say, Lord, I magnify you. I worship you, Jesus, with all of my heart and all of my soul. When all the congregation loses control and we begin to sing and worship our God, we let the praises ring. To worship our God. And when you start to do that as a congregation, the presence of the Lord begins to fall in the midst of the people. You just worship Him. You know what the scripture says in the Psalms? I will sing to the Lord a new. That's one that's never been written before. That new song is the song of what Chris Holder faced this week. God, you stood with me in the face of temptation. That's what I ask you to do when you just begin to give Him praise. It ain't nobody else's song. Nobody else can sing your song like you can. Lord, I cried out to you and you met me in my fear. Lord God, you have supplied all of my need, oh Lord. Are you hearing what I'm doing here? That's Ode Pneumaticos. That's a song driven by the Spirit. Come on, Shay. I can praise him. Mm -hmm. Y'all get anything out of this this morning? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and I'm done. And whatever you do, this is the arching principle right here. This is how we can bring order into chaos, how we can bring light into darkness, how we can make a wilderness become a garden how we can bring heaven on earth. Whatever you do. Mm, whatever you do. Say it with me right now. Whatever you do. In word or deed. Do it with me. Here we go. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Put your hands together and let's give him praise. Your name, your name, your name, O oh Lord. Your name is higher than any other. He's been given a name better than the angels. Scripture says, whatsoever you ask in my name, what? It shall be done. When you pray in the name of Jesus, you are praying in his stead. He's standing before the Father representing you in Jesus' name. Whatever you do. It's not just a nice religious way to end a prayer. It's whatever you do. It's when you get up out of the bed, it's in the name of Jesus. When you drive down the highway, it's in the name of Jesus. When you go to work, it's with a right heart and in the name of Jesus. 
When, when you get offended, it's I choose to bear and to forgive and to put on love in the name of Jesus. It's, it's when I'm confused and when I'm afraid, I put my trust in him in the name of Jesus. When, when I don't know the next step I'm going to take, I do it in faith. I, whatever I do, I do it in deed and in word. I do it in the name of Jesus. And I do it with thanksgiving. Hallelujah. Bow your hearts with me this morning. Father God, we cry out to you as a congregation. Let our lives be so filled with heaven, with true inside holiness. Lord, let us put on compassion. One translation says bowels of mercy. Lord, we just ask you, God, that we would just live a life that would just be filled with the love and a heart for God and for your people. Help us, O oh Lord, to deal with the sensual sins. Everyone in this room faces temptation in one of those areas. Give us strength. Let us hide the word of the Lord in our hearts so that we might not sin against you, Father. Lord, help us to deal with the social sins, the ones that are acceptable. Complaints and the criticism and the backbiting and the slander and the malice, the busybodying and the gossip and all that stuff. Let us lay that down. Lord, let us take the sword of the Spirit and cut the head off of strife so there can be peace in the house of the Lord. Bless our homes, bless our marriages, bless our finances. We cry out to you. Let us deal, O oh Lord, by putting on the right garments of love and compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness. Put on love. Let us wear love every day. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you for the, every person sitting in this room this morning as we bring this service to this point. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved us so much that you stretched out your arms and you said, I love you this much, and you died for us. Thank you that you lived for us and you died for us and you were raised from the dead for us. And Lord, I ask you in the name of Jesus that if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice that has never put their trust in you and that amazing work at the cross of Calvary, Lord, that you would draw their hearts right now. There are people right here in this room who've never said, Jesus, save me. But Lord, you mark their lives before the foundation of the world. Let them reach now into that promise and ask for forgiveness and say, Jesus, be my Savior. That's all you have to do. You turn from where you've been going and you turn to God. That's what repentance is. Just turn to Him and say, Jesus, I can't do this. I, I need you to save me. Forgive my sins. And I'd just like to say right now, this whole congregation is going to pray that in just a moment. But if you'd like to be included in that prayer, if you do not know right now if you were to die today, that you would be in the presence of God in heaven. You can know that. The scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you would like to be included in this prayer, I would just like you right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. I just want you with every head still bowed, every eye closed. I'd like you just to slip your hand up so I can just see this morning. And I see that one right there. Thank you, sister. Anybody else? I'll just give you a moment. Is there another one over here? Anybody else? 
Hold it up for a second so I can see. Father, I thank you for my sister today. The whole congregation's praying right now. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. I put my trust in you. Save me. Forgive me my sins. Be my Savior. I turn from sin, and I turn to you, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Say that again. In Jesus' name, I pray. All of God's people said, let's put our hands together and give the Lord praise for this new sister in Christ. Hallelujah.